actually miss it. I mean, I saw I saw the moon up there and it was full and beautiful and kind of orange and um yeah, really beautiful, but uh I didn't uh, I didn't get a show done and uh every day since then uh I I didn't get a show done for lots of reasons I won't bore you with. Uh but uh you know, the moon the moon keeps uh waxing and waning and I keep uh, sitting here with my little head full of stuffing and, uh, you know, eventually, eventually uh, I get un- unstuck enough to uh, share some words and music with you. Um, so, so I'm, I'm here now. Uh, I, I, it's, it's a week after the full moon. So I guess we're like half, halfway through the moon cycle. So it's like half, half a full moon. Um, so I don't, I don't know, is the moon half full or half empty? You tell me. Uh, but, uh, anyway, uh, I hope, uh, I hope you're, you're doing okay. As, as okay as you can be. Uh, cause it's, uh, it's pretty heavy out there and it's hot in lots of places and, uh, there's, um, there's just a lot going on. So, uh, I hope the moon is keeping you company. I hope you have some some good plants, you know, maybe some some resilient weeds pushing up through the sidewalks, or or maybe you're near a whole meadow full of them growing wild. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that's what I wish for you: the moon and some flowers and uh, and some rest. But uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to share some, some words with you too. So, um, I'm lucky enough to be reading today from Jill Talbot's A Distant Town. And this is just a lovely, uh, little book. You know, you could, uh, curl it up and fit it in your pocket and take it with you, uh, wherever, wherever you're going to look at the moon or look at the water or, you know, sit in your bathtub and uh cool off and uh and and read uh some of these stories so uh i'm just i'm just gonna jump in and read to you and uh i hope i hope this will uh carry you away we'll take a little a little road trip together okay no return address dear jay Imagine we meet up on the corner of some tumbleweed-tossing town. A black arrow next to the stop sign, no traffic light, the wind a whine, points to the interstate as if there's only one way to disappear. A heavy white sun hangs above us, so we squint against the dust, and every direction you and I never allowed ourselves to choose. I see us there, leaning, against a rust-tired truck outside a no-name restaurant that's been dimmed by dark windows and a closed sign. You drop the edge of the bed down, and when the lip falls, I feel whatever ache that's got a hold of me in its creak. We spread a wrinkled map across rusted grooves, smooth, thin edges, force snaps from creases, roam our hands across a stubborn page, spreading out all the states you remember, the ones I've never seen, and the one you won't mention, the one where I'm heading now. You'll press your hand over Arizona, and I'll press mine over Texas, so we can lock out where we are, where we're from, for now. 
pick some place so we can follow the sun glare on the windshield. If you were sitting across from me now, I'd ask you to tell me all the stops that would surprise us. A river. I'd want you to say a river. From a window seat in a restaurant along 380M. What will happen when I die? What will happen when I die? Does it all turn into nothing or part of me survive? What will happen when I die? What's it like to be dead? Never get back Do I stay myself or become someone else? What's it like to be dead? Who gets all the stuff that belongs to me? Is in my last will and testimony. Here's what to do with my Find a nice jar to keep my brains Use my organs and eyes to help other people's lives And toast my bones with champagne with When I Die. Railroad Blues 1. Let's say a man crosses the street in a city called Alpine in the elbow of South Texas, a hundred miles from the limestone isolation of Big Bend, those canyons carved into a weather-beaten desert that feels like the end of every road. Like everything carried down, it falls into the chasm, never heavy again. This man, wearing pointed-toe boots and an itch to get nowhere, stands in front of the post office on 13th Street, and he steps up to the dusty windows and cups his calloused hands around the edges of his eyes and peers in because the building's been closed for years. He stands there a long time, as if in study, Behind him, wind kicks up the dirt and holds it in the air for a second, then sends it on toward the train tracks that used to be the sunset line. He squints against the glare of his memory to the blue-lined letter he opened inside all those years ago with shaking hands. Let's say this. He waited for those words more than any he could remember, and he still got them in his back pocket, in his wallet, 
the crease of that single page thin, those blue lines faded to silver. He leans over to get a glimpse of the mural on the wall, the one with the Guadalupe Mountains in the distance, and those three strangers, a woman and two men, reading in the middle of the desert, each of them singular in their separation. Let's say the writer of that letter is like the woman on the wall, dark hair with a book before her, always something before her, something to do with wondering and wandering in a way that feels like she's always about to walk out a door, something far away in her shoulders, in the way her right hand cups her chin, the way she'll pay more attention to what she can't get more than any man who watches her or doesn't watch her either way. Let's say this man, every time he used to step into that post office, worried the woman on the wall was watching him, reminding him of that afternoon the woman who wrote the letter took those four steps down his front porch. Let's say what this man drags behind him along the streets of Alpine and through the mountains in the distance and down into the canyon at the end of the road is that afternoon, that screen door slamming, and him not turning to watch her go. The man heads down 13th toward Holland to where two streets come together and Railroad Blues waits on the corner. The blue oval around the red neon open sign in the window, bright even in the southern sun. Let's say he already knows the names that belong to the shadows that curve toward the bar, the sound of his own steps on the pine floor. He slides into the dark and lets his eyes adjust for a moment to hear Waylon drinking and dreaming on the jukebox in the corner about all the places he knows damn well he'll never go. The man's boots echo onto the empty dance floor. He puts a hand on the back of the stool he knows, the one nearest the register, which stands for what costs him. The daytime bartender, and let's say her name is Helen, has nice skin and rough red hair that fringes the flower pattern in her leather belt. She sets down the bottle before the man can set down his story, because that's what shadows and bars are working to do, to carve their stories into the wood. He's staring into the label of the bottle, the label of his days, and he keeps himself from looking at the payphone on the wall, the one he'd lean into every time he dialed her, the woman who wrote the one-page letter. He called her until one afternoon, after the sun had already gone behind the mountains, when he assured her that, yes, he wouldn't call again. He keeps even his eyes away from the silver numbers, the black receiver, the taut cord. He presses his two fingers around the neck of the bottle, the way he pressed them that day on the silver lever to end the call. This is all he knows of apology. Two. Let's say that while the sun is still up, they call it day blues, and nobody in there pretends it isn't true. He likes walking over to the bar almost every afternoon, when the shadows inside are nothing more than what everyone's running from, what everyone in this small town already knows. Everybody knows, since she left town, he keeps to himself, walks down the steps of his two-story and 13th to Holland after finishing up whatever job he got up early to do. He built a new fence for the writing professor they just hired at Sul Ross because someone heard. She told him she didn't feel safe in that house on Lockhart without one. Let's say he's been restoring the front porches on a bunch of those houses off Old Marathon Road. And that once a month or so, he takes that road 30 minutes out to Marathon, and someone said it's to spend a long afternoon with the kind woman who owns the art gallery there and that by the time someone catches the blue bed of his old Chevy C-10 turning the corner back into town, all the streetlights are on. And most of the time he's got the windows of that truck rolled down and his fingers tapping on the top of the window frame, tapping out whatever song he's got on his radio or whatever song he's probably singing to himself. He's always singing, or humming under his breath, into his beer, over the clean boards he measures, and through every boot step into the blues. The jukebox runs through its records to find the song somebody punched numbers to hear. The click of the record drops down, and through that bar during an afternoon stillness, the sizzle before the first notes of the song runs through the air like wind through a ghost town. Like hesitation, 
like a dial tone that's left him nervous, as if he's being chased, and he is, by the woman who wrote the letter. The woman's so far gone, it's as if she might come all the way back around again. The whine of the steel guitar, the waltz of the rhythm, and then the lonesome voice of a man sitting on a bar stool trying to convince himself it's temporary. Gary Stewart's drinking thing wails against the backs of the men in their flannel shirts and their worn to thin leather belts and their scuffed boots. They were not doing a damn thing but drink today, weary. The thing about ignoring is that it's pretty close to paying attention. Stewart's voice, a vibration of questions about the woman he loves being out with another man, empties him of all he's got. So he empties the bottle raises it to catch Helen's attention. Helen moves like water, like she's a steady stream that knows every rock and bend of herself. Nothing like the woman who wrote him the letter, the woman who struggles against her own currents. Let's say she always wanted to get out of herself somehow and pour whatever was left into some other place. He knows her tendencies, her tenderness, the way she tends to walk out any door just so she can walk through another, so she can enter an empty room, so she can map her body towards some good-for-nothing man. Let's say he was good to her, and let's say every time he'd drive his truck out to town to some one-story motel, she'd lean against the doorframe in the minutes just after he loved her, as if she had to put something between them. He'd watch her from the bed, watch the outline of her face, her eyes set on the strange city, and he'd listen to her ask what it might be like to stay. He couldn't understand this, but he wanted to. But this kind of listening is like calling out in the roar of a storm, useless, because when a woman won't take the good, she'll take off. He knows that wherever she is, she's near a man, and she's carrying something heavy with her. And somewhere, in a drawer in her kitchen, or one next to the thin comforter of a bed in a motel room in the middle of a town. She's got a pack of marble lights, even though, let's say, she stopped smoking years ago. He understood this about her, how she always kept something close to her she knew was no good. It's always been a battle, a way to keep herself away from trouble. Those marble opaques, a warning against surrender every time she opened a drawer. Let's say she's thinking, I want to go back to before. The Stewart song's over now, and a man in Carhartt's leans over the glass, looking through the records for the one he always plays after the third beer. The word for this is defenseless. The folded-up letter the calloused hand man keeps in his wallet, the one he opens with his worn-to-rough hands, the letter in the creased envelope and the postmark from Dallas, the one with the fading words, is like her cigarettes. Except in his case, it's like a phone call from a stranger asking him to build her a fence. Three. And let's say the sun's starting to set and the lights from all the neons along the edges of the blues blare to shimmer on the hardwood floor. A spilling of yellows and reds and greens like puddles, and the man in the Carhartts has pushed F-37, and it's not fair, the bounce of those piano chords that belie what he bears on his steps back to the bar. Helen sings along while she dunks one pint glass after another into the suds of the sink. When she sings about getting herself together, She glances toward the door as if remembering a man who once surprised her by coming back through it. She knows all the words, not because the man in Carhartts plays Dolly Parton every time he stops by on his run from El Paso to San Antonio, but because everyone has someone who's come back again. And when a jukebox drops the right song or the wrong one, no one's singing along to the song. They're singing along to someone. It's like a dropped bottle on the floor. All those shards, the way strangers won't raise their eyes to pretend it didn't slip, pretend it didn't spill, pretend it wasn't their own shattering. Let's say the man with the calloused hands pushes himself up from the bar, clumsily pretends to be the man walking right in the door. 
He nods to the man in the car hearts and says something like, doesn't take a door to keep someone from going or coming back through it. The man in Carhartt's has a spindly, red-flecked beard, and he raises his Bud Light bottle toward the calloused hand man and offers to buy him another. But let's say there's something I forgot in the telling, that the callous hand man locks a door on his drinking every afternoon when the sun goes down, whether he's finished or not. And this time the sun set halfway through the second bottle. Something to do with shutting at least one thing out before the dark speeds toward him like those rails that run through this town. That train whistle howling in the wind. That wail sounds different to him in the night, and if he goes too far into his drinking, he almost doubles over at the thunder bearing down. He steps out of the door of the blues and stops for a second to shake hands and clap a back or two with the men and women out front, the ones shrugging in their leather coats, poking at the logs in the fire pit, the fire that will burn steady and crack, shoot its own neon orange into the air till the bar closes down. Let's say the smolder, the dusty ash settling in the middle of the night, is something close to a phone ringing in a motel room after checkout. The man passes the dark windows of the post office on his way back home, and he doesn't stop this time, but closes his eyes, even while he steps down the sidewalk, even while he starts to imitate the stride of the man in the car hearts, the stranger whose steps falter as if he's about to fall against everything he's driven away from. The callous man sings like he always does, but this time he doesn't realize what he's singing, the song he asked Helen to take off the jukebox. She told him when he asked that he had to take the record with him, and she waited for him to nod yes before she grabbed the keys from beneath the bar and handed them over. Let's say the breaks in his steps feel like surrender. He can see the mural in his mind, the one on the post office wall, the one he's looked at so many times he sees the reds and the browns and the deep oranges of the desert, and the woman in the painting wrapped in yellow and blue in his mind. It's the mural of his memory, the woman who surely meant something he couldn't make out when she tried to write it down. He gets to the corner, and it's then he hears himself singing the song, and he opens his eyes, lets out a long breath. And let's say this is the heaviness he's carried through every distance and dark bar until everything's awash in dust and cedar. The next morning, he gets into his truck toward an early start on Old Marathon Road. When he pulls into the lot of the art gallery, he's got a box, the one with the record, and the letter, and the stack of plane tickets, one to every city where she might be, because today he's setting it all down. And let's say when he walks in, the bell above the door trembles, and the long-haired woman steps from behind the curtain, her sandals shushing the hard floor, and she nods behind her, says everything's right where he left it. He has a word in his throat. Let's say it's allow. And let's say when he ducks behind the orange and red and deep brown curtain, he sees it there, the canvas, the desert, the empty space where the woman should be. And let's say he picks up the palette, squeezes tubes of yellow and blue. He smudges his brush into them both, one at a time. And let's say this is the afternoon he will finish the form of the woman who wrote long ago. When he presses the silver-blue brush to the page, he can see her words there between them. And let's say he's humming. I asked for grilled cheese She gave me sardines She said eat them with your fingers Or on a saltine I guess I made a comment About her lentil omelette I'm hanging up the phone Playing trombone, I'm going home 
Like an umbrella in the cyclone, I'm going home. I'm drinking stale coffee, feeling quite queasy. I'm sitting in a bubble bath, acting kind of lazy. I wish I were a tiny bird, brandishing a mighty sword. Lashing out at oppression, I'm going home By every indication, I'm feeling vindication, going home I'm going home for the holidays Home for an extended stay sundown. She went looking for him, said the brooding rock face at sundown brought him back. Every night. Just as the horizon caught fire, she'd walk across the empty dirt yard in her gray t-shirt and those cream cords she wore to climb into that 77 F-150. I'd stand at the window, hear the truck door wind shut. Then I'd watch her toss her arm across the scratch of the seat, and throw it in reverse, edge out to the road, idle for a minute as if daring herself not to go. I'd shift to the screen door, sharpen my grip on the frame, as if my hold had any hold on her when she got that way. Tires would fight gravel, and as that truck faded into the orange-shadowed dust, I could feel the grit between my teeth. Whether she was here or there, she was always there. She never took me with her, but I knew enough to know where she was headed and why. The problem was, she couldn't begin to tell herself. He'd be there in a flannel shirt, in that wooden bar, in the shadows. I never met him, not even a picture. But this is how I saw him. The shoulders of a man who never turned around. Please come to Boston on the jukebox. When she sat on the couch... The distance inside her felt like the train that rattled behind our house. She'd look right at me and I could see it, the traveling. She had a flat highway inside her, a sign that told her she was 381 miles from some no-account town. And I knew the minute she passed the limits, she'd be lost again. It did no good to call her name or wave across the yawn of her far-offness. Maybe she didn't want to find the town. Maybe she didn't even want to find him. Maybe all she wanted was caught between where she was and where she'd been with him. I'm telling you, she drove that unpaved road so many times she carved ruts. She'd mumble to herself, I just need to get to sundown, as if it were a town. 
Maybe it was, the way she said it. Some nights, hours past my bedtime, I'd fall asleep on the couch beside her, knowing the moment I closed my eyes, she'd open the door, as if this would be the night he'd be standing on the sidewalk. Maybe she didn't do this. Maybe I just dreamed him there. Years later, she explained the long drives to me, the crossing hours, the jukebox and the bar of that mountain town. She told me about his shadow across a river, and I swear, it wasn't that I could see it, but that I could remember it. There's a difference. She once drove that truck all the way to some New Mexico road and pulled over at a gas station to wonder why the payphone she once called him from had been ripped out. Holes where there had once been bolts rusted dark. Wind in the distance. Long before I came along, he took her to some used bookstore in a desert town. Glare of mid-July, a fan humming in every room. When I hold the book she bought there, my hands sweat. She knew she'd taken a wrong turn. The way she'd stand in the middle of the living room, as if confused on the curb of some corner, her directions smeared by the rain, streetlights no more than gauze. She liked drought. She liked deluge. October was her saddest month. She'd sing songs I could tell had been playing in a room they shared on a night of frozen roads, just a snow ring of a moon. When she'd get to that line and please come to Boston, her voice would tremble like thunder snow. Then she'd sigh, run water over the breakfast plates and stare into sink as if she'd seen a photograph she didn't mean to find. I found her on the front porch one morning. She'd been daring the frail of a rope bridge all night trying to ignore the rock-bed river inside her. While she slept, I found the truck keys in a pile of red-brown leaves. She'd thrown them there sometime in the night. I'd seen her do it before. Maybe it was the only way she could lock out her longing. Let me explain. My mother was always gone, but she never went anywhere. Or maybe she never went anywhere without him. Her missing him was like an oversized map spread out across the floor. We never had a truck. She never drove off. She sat in the living room, every night, opened a bottle of wine as the sun went down, and then she'd trade one glass for another until bottles rolled across linoleum. I'm telling you how she struggled to stay in the room, and when she couldn't, She'd tip back the apple gold, walk across the yard of her emptiness, and turn the key. I can't quit drinking, but I stop. The physics of oblivion. Obscurity of doubt, my main contribution to this moment will win out. I can't quit drinking, but I stop. I can't stop thinking, but I'll try. photo in the mirror the backyard fire worn out shoe that alamo pie i can't stop thinking but i'll try inane incoherence Compromise distrust The patent absurdity Of admitting all is lost The phone booth ultimatum The taxi ride home This language of disease This being all alone I'm not enough, 
but I won't bow out. I proclaim my intention with a full-throated shout. No use lying or denying what this is about. Can't quit drinking, but I stop. I can't quit drinking, but I stop. That was Dan Nielsen with I Can't Quit Drinking, But I'll Stop. Rumor. You know Alice Sanders, right? Yeah, the one who likes to drive out to that side of the highway dive and not be bothered. Shoot pool against the kind of man who's got ease and a finger that's been busted a time or two, a day off from fitting pipe. You know the place. Outdated calendar behind the bar, yellowed Coors sign on the wall, that trombone over the entrance. She orders whatever's cheapest, whatever she thinks is going to scrape out what's chasing her, gulping and gutting her hair like water down her back, her jeans tight, always an old concert t-shirt tucked into them. She punches three-dog night on the jukebox as smoke slithers from her cigarette. Heard last Tuesday she threw an empty bottle at her feet, like she was teasing the shards. Then she asked the bartender for a broom and swept it all up. Saturday morning said Friday's over So we got out of bed I said how are you? You said come on man Let's talk about something else instead Let's put on our clothes and go get some breakfast You paid for all those drinks last night my turn to buy. talking to some other guy but you took it and put it under your pillow you kissed me and you smiled I'll be coming back after a while Goodbye. 
was Dan Nielsen with We Never Said Goodbye. Well, I guess it's time for a little mise. And on the menu today is a snack size interview with our featured musician, Dan Nielsen. Dan Nielsen is a part time stand up comic. His least favorite flavor of jelly is petroleum. When he's bored, he goes to the grocery store and disconnects all the bananas. His plan for the future is to make plans for a more distant future. Oh yeah, so that's that's Dan Nielsen, folks. He's a funny guy. Uh, also a fantastic musician, I, as you have been hearing. Uh, a singer-songwriter, a writer-writer. Uh, he makes art. Uh, and uh, he makes really good scrambled eggs. Uh, full disclosure, uh, my human uh, lives with this human so I I live I live with this human too so um anyway I'm all really excited to uh to be sharing his songs with you on the show and uh he was kind enough to answer some interview questions for the Violet Hour so here they are one what is your earliest memory of a joke Beanie and Cecil travel to no bikini at all two what was your favorite place when you were a child? What is your favorite place now? As a child, the only place was my grandparents' meat market slash house, where I lived until I was five with mom and dad and three old maid aunts, Helen, Hattie, and Guinea. A horse arrived every morning pulling a produce wagon. I fed the horse an apple. A cat lived in the cellar and looked out at me through a cellar window when I played outside. The cat never left the cellar. The cat subsisted on mice. I lived in a Disney movie. My favorite place now is right here. Three, what is your songwriting process and creative practice like? How has it changed over the years and what has remained constant? The less effort I make, the better the chance that whatever I do will be worth the effort and purposefully misunderstanding the obvious. Four, what are your five favorite words associated with coffee? Cup, spoon, pot, hot, iced. With July, shade, books, Lake Michigan, gin and tonic, Miranda. With whiskey, sugar whiskey, bourbon, old crow, shot, make it a double. Five, please describe your current obsessions as the contents of a picnic basket. Making collage using diluted clear Elmers with watercolor added. Place and position. Immediately cover any area that seems planned in a picnic basket. Bonus, if you were a stuffed animal, what would you be? I am a stuffed animal. Well, thank you, Dan, for answering those questions for us in the Violet Hour. Um, if you want to find out more about Dan, you can go to his website at dadanielsenpo.com. That's D-A-D-A-N-I-E-L-S-E-N-P-O.com. You can find his music on Reverb Nation at ReverbNation.com slash DanNielsen6. And you can also listen to and follow his podcast on Anchor, Dan Nielsen with Five Minutes. So it's a, it's a much shorter podcast uh, than mine. So if you have five minutes, uh, you can check it out. Um, it's at anchor.fm slash Daniel hyphen Nielsen 7. And that's Nielsen, N-I-E-L-S-E-N. Uh or you can just search Dan Nielsen with five minutes on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, okay, snack time's over. That's my favorite cliche. A bundle of nerves. I drink coffee all day. I drink coffee all night. I never go to sleep. I like my coffee black. I like my coffee cups deep. <laughs> 
buddy were out having some brew. We drank Hills Brothers, Folgers, and Maxwell House too. And in some greasy coffee shop, the waitress wouldn't serve us. She said, get out of here, or I'll call the cops. You guys are just too nervous. with coffee. Mousy, uh, yeah, I really uh, missed the uh, the full moon there. I know, but then uh, you uh, you hit the road, um, you know, halfway through. You left over a week ago. I thought you'd be here by now. I was worried the theremin broke down again, or that you went off to some bar and were getting intoxicated. I mean, these stories you've been reading by Jill Talbot are very intoxicating. Um, I feel like I've been in this, you know, sun-drenched fever dream or something. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, that's that's kind of how, how I felt, you know. Uh, reading uh, reading these stories uh, was like, uh, was like taking a, a road trip. Uh, so, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess that's why it took me so long. I, I don't know. I can't really explain it. Uh, you know, maybe I just got a little too much sun or something. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the heat from, uh, the sun and these stories. Um, so that's got me thinking about cooling things. Uh, you know, why don't, why don't I get you a nice cool drink? Oh, that sounds wonderful, Miss Mousie. Thank you. Uh, uh, what do you got? Well, um, you know, you've been, been reading and, uh, I've, I've been thinking about, um, you know, cooling, but also just releasing things, you know? So releasing heat and releasing, you know, releasing the past, releasing, uh, things we don't want to hold on to. Um, anyway, uh, elderflower and lemon balm are two wonderfully cooling herbs that help release the heat you know in your in your body and your emotions uh so i made a sun tea uh you know through some elderflower and lemon balm in a jar and water and just put it out in the sun to to steep for hours and then um it's nice if you make a a lemonade too and you can mix them and pour that over ice um or you can just have the sun tea by itself over ice uh, all that sounds sounds really good Miss mousy yeah uh you know hibiscus and sumac would be nice in there too um but i was also thinking about um infusing wine um you know i love roses and honey in white wine and uh i'm just thinking that 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 would be that would be really nice um you know you just put your roses and they you know no pesticides of course oh, i know i mean i hope people uh I hope people aren't putting pesticides on their roses. I know, but I feel like we have to say it because so many people do. They use Roundup and all kinds of terrible things. But so yeah, so you want you want your roses pesticide free. But yeah, put some some roses and honey in a white wine of your choosing and let it steep a few days or week and and then you can strain the rose petals out or you know you can eat the rose petals or um I, I like to nibble on them myself and you don't need to do the honey especially if you have a sweet white wine um unless you really like it sweet um 
I like I like a, a, a dry white wine and then the roses and honey. Uh, or, you know, the elderflower and lemon balm I mentioned earlier, those would be lovely in the wine. Or you could put those directly into vodka, too. Um, like Saint-Germain. Um, as you know, Mr. Bear, I know you're a big fan. Oh, yeah, I love Saint-Germain. And that's just um, elderflower blossoms in vodka. Um, there's so many delightful summery drinks we could make. But here's your sun tea, Mr. Bear. Um, you know, I've also, uh, these stories have me thinking about place, um, and, and location, um, physically and, and emotionally and in memory. And, um, it's got me thinking about how wonderful it is to, to, to tincture something, um, as a way of, of capturing a moment in time, or a feeling, or a person, or a memory, um, like, you know, so many, um, traditional liqueurs, uh, you know, they're, they're based on, uh, seasonal fruits, and, and nuts, and there's, you know, a, a rhythm, and a, and a cycle to everything, and, you know, these, uh, these rhythms and and seasons um, are are part of rituals, and you know if you're if you're lucky enough to have those, um, you know it's like the moon, everything changing all the time, but changing all the time, but changing in a in a rhythm, um, you know. So like the waxing and the waning, and you know going away and coming back, and. Uh, you know, the, the tides, high tide and low tide, and these things are also beautiful, and um, I, I like to try to, to capture them. Um, like, I've been reading about um, Nocino, um, which is a traditional Italian uh, black walnut liqueur, but lots of different cultures have it. Um, in, in France, it's called liqueur de noir, and um, in Greece, um, they have Kerivaki liquor, uh, so, um, I thought I would, I would try to make some, so I, uh, I gathered some, some green walnuts the other day, um, that smelled so delicious, and, uh, you have to be able to cut into them, um, you know, once, once the, the, it, they're too hard to cut into, because black walnuts are, like, the hardest nuts ever once once they uh, actually fully form, um, like, in the fall. Uh, then forget about cutting them. You can't even crack them with a regular nutcracker. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I've, uh, not, uh, I'm familiar with black walnuts. Uh, they make a mess, too. They do. They make a wonderful... Um, they stain, they stain everything, and you can make an ink with it, and a dye, and yeah, it's just a fan, fantastic, uh, but yeah, you have to watch out for it if you're, if you're someone who, um, you know, is worried about making a mess, um, but anyway, uh, I think traditionally it's around the end of June, beginning of July, uh, when you can harvest them, uh, when they're still, uh, not ripe, and they're, they're green, and you can cut into them, and um, and then they're pale inside. And so you cut them into quarters and, and put them in a jar with vodka. And um, there's different recipes that call for different spices, like clove and cinnamon and allspice. But um, I decided to just do the, the black walnuts to see what that's like. And you have to let them macerate at least six weeks, and then strain it out. And then you mix in, uh, like, your sugar, your honey, or... You, you know, whatever sweetener you're going to use, and then you let it sit for months, and that's, that's the secret to so many things, Mr. Bear, is, is time, is just, is letting things macerate, steep, uh, and mellow, and, and time, time changes the, the ingredients, and, and something that, that's very bitter and raw, um, can really become mellow and wonderful. So, um, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to trying this black walnut liqueur, um, some months down the road. And, uh, I can't wait to share some with you, Mr. Bear. Uh, thanks, Miss Mousie. I can't wait to try some. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, 
you should probably get back and finish the show, Mr. Bear. Um, I'd love to sit and chat all afternoon, but, um, you know, it's a beautiful day, and I've got, I've got harvesting to do out in the yard, and, uh, it's, it's the new moon, um, so, you know, I really want to make sure you, you get your, your show out for your listeners, um, and, and, you know, uh, not make them wait any longer. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Miss Mousy. That's a great idea. Uh, thanks for this sun tea. And, um, yeah, uh, it's so good to see you. And um, I'll, I'll be back on on the full moon in a couple weeks. I'll see you then. Okay, Mr. Bear, uh, take care. And, um, you know, uh, uh, go, go straight back, okay? Uh, no, don't, don't make any stop-offs at, um, you know, any of your favorite uh, watering holes. Okay, Miss Mousy, I'll uh, I'll try I'll try to stick to the plan. Oh wait, before you go, I, I almost forgot. Um, I know at the end of your show, uh, you always like to uh, give a parting oracle, and um, I thought maybe we could start um an oracle in the apothecarium here. Um, because I have a uh, Kate Greenaway's Language of Flowers, uh, which is just such a delightful little book, and um, I thought it would be fun to have a little uh flower oracle in Miss Mousy's apothecarium. Oh, that, that's a great idea, Miss Mousy. I love it. Uh, okay. Uh, what's uh, what's the oracle? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna paw through this little book here, Kate Greenaway's Language of Flowers, and let's see what our flower oracle is going to be. Saffron Meadow. And the meaning is, my happiest days are past. Well, that's a very interesting oracle. Do with it what you will, but don't take it too to heart, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Bear or anyone listening. Um, you know, uh, I don't think your happiest days have to be past. But uh, yeah, Saffron Meadow, my happiest days are past. Uh, okay. Um, thanks for that cheery note, Miss Mousy. Uh, I'll I'll be seeing you. Oh, and Miss Mousy, isn't there anything else you'd like to say that maybe you forgot to? What are you talking about, Mister Bear? Oh, uh, you know, you like to remind my listeners of something every show. Oh yeah, yeah. Remind your listeners that uh, I'm just a two-dimensional hand-drawn rodent studying herbalism, and they should always do their own research. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they know that by now. But uh, yeah, don't forget to tell them. Thanks, Mister Bear. Bye. Are you or anyone you know a musician, amateur, professional, experimental? Do you tell stories with music and song? Are you interested in being considered for a potential feature on Mr. Bear's Violet Hour? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, please send samples of your work, links to Bandcamp, SoundCloud, your website, digital demo, tape files on Google Docs, whatever you have, to violethourmoon at gmail.com. Cow says moo And the moo says cow Squirrel up in a tree Chipmunk underground How now brown cow Grazing in the sunshine Sitting in the barnyard Feeling just fine Chicken in a coop Pig in a pen I'll set them free And never touch meat again But if they stick around I'll still feed them Now fill up my glass till I Say when
sound you make is who you are I had a dream last night about a candy bar I was fast asleep in the backseat of my car Dreaming about a candy bar The house is moved And the moose says Dan Nielsen with The Cow Says Moo. And that's the show, folks. I hope you've enjoyed the work of Jill Talbot as much as I've enjoyed reading it to you. Uh, You can find out lots more about Jill and all her beautiful writing at her website, jilltalbot.net. You can also go to her website to get your paws on your own copy of A Distant Town and read the rest of the stories in there. Uh, So, I recommend uh, you do that. And uh, thanks so much for being here with me in the Violet Hour. Uh, It's uh, it feels like it was an epic journey getting this episode out. Thanks also to Dan Nielsen for the fantastic music. Uh, You can again check out more of his work at ReverbNation.com/slash/DanNielsen6. And uh, I'll uh, leave you all with a parting oracle. I guess. I guess now we're gonna. This is gonna be a double oracle show. Uh, so you had your you had your flower oracle in the apothecarium, and uh, now now you have your parting oracle uh, from Norton Jester's The Phantom Tollbooth. So as usual, I will paw through the pages. Point down at a passage and read you your oracle. And here we go. How can she see under things if she's all the way up there, growled the humbug. Well, added Alec, turning a neat cartwheel, whatever she can't see under, she overlooks. I'll read that one more time. How can she see under things if she's all the way up there, growled the humbug. Well, added Alec, turning a neat cartwheel, whatever she can't see under, she overlooks. So, there's your oracle. Do with it what you will. Uh, Take care out there, and I'll be back with you uh, for the full moon in August. Be kind to each other. Theme song and show music by Sugar Whiskey. Mr. Bear and Miss Mousie believe in radical love and kindness, in mutual aid, and empowering ourselves and our communities. Together we can dismantle the white, racist, colonizing, misogynistic, capitalist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist patriarchy. This podcast was recorded on Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria land. Text your zip code or city comma state to 907-312-5085 and find out whose land you're living on. Uh, You can also go to land.codeforanchorage.org for more information. There's also a helpful map at native-land.ca. This is just the first step in developing a land acknowledgement. Let's learn our history and honor the land and indigenous peoples, past, present, and future. This podcast was produced in collaboration with the Boston Free Radio Podcast Network, part of bostonfreeradio.com and Somerville Media Center, Somerville's longest-running public access media center that enables a vibrant and diverse community to express its creativity, explain its ideas, share its cultures, and foster the individual right to freedom of speech. Learn more about Somerville Media Center at somervillemedia.org or check out some of the other amazing Boston Free Radio podcasts and radio shows at bostonfreeradio.com. Thanks for listening.